Job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. I'm Jonathan Brill. In today's show, we are exploring artificial intelligence in the hospital industry with some surprising conclusions. That's followed by an interview with one of Edinburgh's leading entrepreneurs in the technical space, Bob Dryborough. And finally, Glamour magazine provides us with some superb insights into how to get a job without experience. One area which surprisingly seems to be quite slow in taking to the potential benefits of artificial intelligence is in hospitals. I would have thought that efficiencies on the part of the hospital systems and improved patient diagnosis would be the hottest of hot topics. And while, of course, there's some great research going on, particularly in America, well, it's not as rapid as the research has it tech emergence would have anticipated, which of course will potentially have a slower, perhaps less radical impact on jobs than in many industries. Broadly, there's three main areas where there's quite a lot of work going on in artificial intelligence. Judging by the current machine learning initiatives in the top five US hospitals, the most popular hospital artificial intelligence applications appear to be predictive analytics, chatbots, and predictive health trackers. So predictive analytics, that's the ability to monitor patients and prevent patient emergencies before they occur, analysing data for key indicators. And there's a lot of work going on, for instance, in Johns Hopkins Hospital partnership with GE. Now, chatbots, that's where you are automating physician inquiries and routing physicians to the proper specialist. Predictive health trackers, that's the ability to monitor patients' health status using real-time data collection. So, it's a kind of watch-the-space scenario. And for those who are seeking to work in hospitals... The content of the job, rather than the eradication of the function, appears to be what's going to happen, at least in the next five years, going forward. And now my interview with one of Edinburgh's leading entrepreneurs in the technical space, Bob Dryborough. Hello, I'm in the wonderful city of Edinburgh and I'm talking to Bob Dryborough in his uh, offices in Stafford Street. Bob, delightful to be here. I had the roof on the car down as I drove in here. Edinburgh is a wonderful city to live in. Is it a good city to do business in? Edinburgh is a fantastic city to do business in. I think um, it brings people from all over the world and it brings skills from all over the world. And people just want to be here. So the culture and everything associated with it brings, uh, brings all sorts of diversity and, uh, and innovation. So a city of diversity and innovation. You yourself are an innovator, Bob. You would be described by some people as an entrepreneur. Would that be right? I, I think so. I think so. I, th- I think that's where 
where you're talking using the word innovation. Innovation is the key. You've got to, you've got to have an idea, and you've got to have a sometimes a big idea, and that's the key to being an entrepreneur. So, armed with ideas, how did you go about it? Setting up your series of companies which develop into a sort of a group. How do you go about that sort of thing? Sometimes it's not completely planned. Sometimes it's just that uh, you're frustrated by it and you see that there's a problem here and you think to yourself, there's just got to be a better way of doing this than, than, it's, than it's currently being done. So, so what happens is that um, you look at these problems and you say, I can find a better way to actually solve that particular problem. So having got to that stage where you've got a good idea about what is going wrong, and there's, a, there's an issue there that needs sorting, what are the practical things that you have to do in order to go about to turn that into a business? Uh, well, you, first of all, you've got, to, um, uh, you've got to have some finance to back you up, really. And uh, that in itself can be a, can can be a challenge, and but but these days there are more more flexible ways of actually finding uh, finance to back up your uh, your business idea, and then what I call uh, you've got to create beachheads. You've got to create a beachhead into particular marketplaces, and uh, sometimes it's not about taking over the whole world. It's convincing. Uh, convincing one or two one or two customers to, to come in your direction. So when you talk about beachheads, you're not asking the entrepreneur to win the war all at once. You're asking them to take a stand in a particular area and try and win a battle rather than the war. That's absolutely right. I think um, sometimes you, you, you go to the situation where you want to win two customers in a particular marketplace Ideally, paying customers because that all that always helps as well because that proves that they are uh, they are committed to the cause. But by winning uh, those two paying customers, you can then create that beachhead that allows you to take uh, take take things forward and learn learn the lessons by not by uh, an ivory tower approach, but by actually a practical uh, a practical environment. So, continuing on that ivory tower theme that you've just raised are you one of the people who thinks that entrepreneurialism can be taught in a university uh, I, I don't think so I think I think you, you've got to be you've got to be in the trenches and you've actually got to be dealing with the customers and you've got to be finding out what customers really uh, really want and uh, and unless you're engaging with uh, customers then it's very difficult to actually um, be sure what uh, what those people want. So if a young person, let's say they're in high school, 16, 17, was thinking about doing a career in entrepreneurialism, would you advise them to go to university at all? Should they go and get their hands dirty selling in a street market, the sort of the Alan Sugar approach? What is it you would advise them to do? Well, I, th I think both. There's never anything wrong by education and, and understanding the, the theory associated with it. But fundamentally, what an entrepreneur does, he or she solves a problem. So you've got to think, what is the problem that I'm solving? If you want to be a, a billionaire, 
you've got to solve a $10 billion problem or a $10 billion pound problem. So you've got to know the size of the problem that you're actually trying to find a solution to. And then you will be a, I feel like, a, as I say, if you want to be a billionaire, you've got to solve a $10 billion problem. So if you've made your mind up, you've gone either to university, you might have studied entrepreneurialism, you might not have, you might have studied Greek for all, for all I know. You've got a certain question set. What, what on a day-to-day basis would you be doing as an entrepreneur? What does your day-to-day th- uh, timetable look like? Oh, I think, um, first of all, you, you look at the market you define the market that you want uh, you want to address. So, so as I say, if you want to be a, a billionaire, you solve a ten billion dollar problem. But you look at the size of the market and say, well, okay, I'm going to create some innovation and change within that particular uh, within that market. And so, the whole idea is thinking about how can we make things different and how can we make things better. And so, so that's that's the key. And then you have an innovation strategy and you then, if you like, drive it far forward, ideally through the, uh, the, beachhead, uh, the beachhead strategy. And that's, that's the process that you go through. So what do you think of the companies that have done really well recently? Let's take Uber, which is now a unicorn times one or two. That is... It's reached the billion dollar mark and it's going on and, and, and upwards. Do you think that's a great idea? Do you think it's a good company? I think um, what, they, what they did was, they, in a lot, a lot of these situations, it's the business model. And it's actually understanding what the business model that you, that you create. That's, um, that's, again, part of the innovation cycle. What they did was, in effect, create a, a new business model for, for, for working and, and delivering uh, taxis. Deliveroo have done something similar, and there's, there's a number of uh, uh, organizations that actually are building uh, new business models. So the business model is the key, and, um, and what that does is it streamlines uh, processes that existed in the past and have been replaced by these new business models. So, so Uber and Deliveroo and companies like that are all examples of organizations that are searching for new business models. Now, that's where you can actually, uh, if you like, create, create a breakthrough if, as I say, you're, you're solving a, a 10 billion, uh, so you're going into the taxi market, which is a a huge marketplace and you're creating a brand new uh, a brand new business model or you're going into the food delivery uh, market and you're creating a brand new business model that is that is certainly uh, a high degree of innovation and uh, and di- differentiations and uh, in, in those marketplaces and it's definitely an entrepreneurial uh, approach yesterday and it's marvelous that you're quoting Deliveroo because it was announced in the press that they'd officially become unicorns that is that they were uh, valued uh, at 1.5 billion or something like that now it seems at one level that this could be just described as a small idea that is all you have to do is see that people would like some food delivered to them rather quickly than it happened previously 
and now everyone's doing it. But does it advance the state of the world much that you can get your food delivered more quickly? Well, it makes me, I don't know, I, I use it myself and I quite like it. So, uh, and so it's sometimes when you get home late in, uh, late in the evening, then it's a lot. Some people don't want to necessarily be doing uh, cooking all the time, really. And uh, um, so it's just a, just a change in the people's uh, lifestyles. But, but there's, there's lots of changes in um, whether it be that, whether it be in the education space, whether it be in uh, no, transport, or whether it be food, people were looking for their life to be just a bit more, bit easier, and um, so if we can make people's lives easier, people will people will come with you. I think that's a, a very important lesson to uh, going out to young people. So, in your staff and all the people that you employ, Bob, what are the special qualities that you're looking for? Uh, well, I, I think I just want them to be free. <laughs> I want them to be free. I want them to be innovative, and I want them to come up with uh, with uh, great ideas that can uh, can take the things forward. And um, so that freedom and, and innovation is the is the number one uh, the number one skill. So you can't box people in, in the, into this environment because they will have opinions in terms of. Uh, what, uh, what needs to be done and how things can be made better. So this kind of freedom, is that what you feel is being encouraged in the output from high schools and universities throughout the world? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that as much. Really. I, think the, um, I think there's probably a slightly more regimented uh, approach to things, really. But I, I would say, as I say, You've got to have an idea, and it's got to be a good idea. And because um, uh, lots of people have ideas, but a lot of them are not necessarily good ideas. So um, it's the it's the best ideas that uh, that will actually win the day. So finally, to to wrap this up and thinking about the young people knocking on your door looking for a job, what is it you're looking for from them? in a specific sense? Um, well, in, in my world, obviously, I'm in software, so I like people who are uh, technically uh, technically gifted, really. But, um, but more importantly with that, then they've got to be able to engage with customers. They've got to have, and, and a lot of what they, what they call the soft skills, it's not necessarily the, the hard skills and being brilliant at uh, mathematics, physics, or, or chemistry. It's the some of the times it's the soft skills and being able to engage with customers and actually understand uh, what their what their needs are and then translate them into into in a form that, uh, that makes sense to the to the to the team. So a young person, either gender, is facing you and your team at interview. What's the worst thing they could do at that point? Oh, I think the worst thing they could do is flip on their phone. <laughs> if they went on their phone, they'd be out the door because this is—I mean—we want people who are going to engage and uh, and and not uh, not be constantly uh, dictated to by their uh, their phone. And what's the best thing they could do to impress you? Uh, the best thing they could do to is just eye contact. 
and uh, communicate and um, just share a passion and an enthusiasm for, uh, for, for, for their ideas. Bob, it's been absolutely delightful talking to you and there's some marvellous advice for young people in there thinking of an entrepreneurial lifestyle. Bob, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So now, could you go into the kitchen, go to the condiments cupboard and take a little salt? Yes, okay, a pinch of salt. Because what follows is some job-seeking advice from no less than Glamour magazine and their reporter, Gemma Askham. <laughs> it's a great name for a reporter, ask him. We could run a wee competition on the right name for the job. I had a singing teacher called Jack Bolling. I knew of a dentist called Mr Gummers. Any more real ones out there? Just send them to us via the chatbot on edgevate.biz. I digress. Ditch your CV. This is how you can get a job without experience. This is how to get a job the 2017 way. As technology creates new jobs and changes the way we do existing ones, we're no longer getting roles via the methods we know. We're on the cusp of an application revolution with employers favouring left-field CVs. Uh, That's the time for your pinch of salt. Getting a job is not going to be about your expertise or ability to do one particular task. It's about your personality, your traits, how adaptable you are, how flexible. And this comes from Corrine Mills, who is the author of Career Coach. Changing professions is going to be essential. Now, that's a message really worth listening to. At Eduvate, the talk here is of developing liquid skills that can be poured into a new job as the old one is phased out because of artificial intelligence or whatever. Miss Ascom continues, In some quiet corner of the internet, there must be a CV-eating black hole. 40% of surveyed millennials, that's people born after the mid-1980s, didn't receive any acknowledgement of their last online job application. Why? Once you press send, your job hopes land in an application tracking system, or ATS, which automatically bins anything without set keywords. Even if your application does see a human, it's unlikely to be your new boss. Why? In a large HR department, it's hard to stand out because they're not the decision makers. They've been told what to look for and process applications. And this comes from Emily Austin, who's CEO of the PR firm Emerge. Today, your in has to be personal. There's someone at that company who you need to convince to see you. Figure out how to grab their attention, explains Steve Bartlett, who co-founded digital marketing agency Social Chain, because he knew his CV, which included dropping out of a uni and being expelled from school, wouldn't survive an ATS grilling. So where can you go? Oh, I know, LinkedIn. LinkedIn can tell you who you need to speak to, then get their attention using the channel with the least noise. What that means is that if you label Twitter as a channel, then the noise is about how frequently someone receives a tweet. Steve continues, I'm bombarded with emails, social media comments, but if someone sends something physical to the office, 
Then I have to open it. It instantly has my attention, and I think this is the case with a lot of busy people. So that's a tip from an article in Glamour magazine about how to get to the top of the pile. I'll continue with this article in our next podcast. And here's a special treat for our listeners. I'm going to give you an access code which will let you look at all of the wonderful online catalogue available on Eduvate. So just go to eduvate.biz forward slash access code and enter the code JOBREADY. JOBREADY. Employer says yes. Yes.